I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Prodman, back with another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. We're ramping up for the World Juniors. Uh, Corey and I are both at the USA World Junior Camp this week. Corey was at the Canada World Junior Camp. That tournament is coming in hot, so we're going to talk about uh, just kind of some early impressions on the rosters for, for both of those two teams, some of the people who are in, some of the people who notably are not, as well as a couple of notes from around that tournament. Uh, we're going to get into all that in a minute, but first, if you are a fan of the show, I did want to ask that you first go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating. We would really appreciate that. You can count it as an early Christmas present to us if you want. Corey, how you doing? I'm doing well, Max. It's um, it's getting to getting towards that busy time of year right now. Uh, uh, you know, by the time we post this on, on Friday, we'll be a couple of days away from the Spurs pre-tournament games, and there's actually another national team event going on in Europe right now. So, uh, next three four weeks are going to be very, very fast paced in the prospect world. You leave uh, on Christmas Day for the World Junior Tournament, and you just got back from seeing. A couple of the medal favorites. So let's just dive right in there. And, and I want to start with Canada. Um, I mean, I guess the, the team that Canada puts out, most of the, the favorites have made the team, but, but a couple of kind of notable omissions. One, Brant Clark, not even at camp, and another, Hendricks LaPierre, does not make the team, despite having already gotten some NHL action. Yeah, I actually had one of our readers point out that Hendricks LaPierre was the first player uh, who has played NHL games to be cut from a, their U20 team um, since Brett Bulmer uh, back, uh, I think it was about 10 or so years ago. He was a high second-round pick by the Minnesota Wild. Uh, yeah, so it was notable because he has played in the NHL, because he has scored in the NHL, uh, because he is a highly thought-of prospect. And also he had a, you know a strong history with Hockey Canada. He hasn't played with them at a ton of events, but the one event he did play with them at, at the Holy Gretzky Cup two summers ago, uh, he had an outstanding tournament, one of the best tournaments ever by anyone production-wise at that event. And I was with this age group. And I was kind of always presumed that when this tournament came along that he was not only going to be on the team, but it'd be an important part of the team. But uh, there were things that, that led up to uh, the cut that, that made it at least somewhat foreseeable. You know, when we were at that tournament, there were I didn't say, "Hey, he's getting cut." I probably you start talking to some scouts there, like, "Hey, I, it might be trending in this direction." I don't think he has this locked down, and the there are a couple of variables. One is among his various U twenty camps that he's had: the one last winter, the one this past summer, and then this one. He's never really stood out at any of them. You know, like he was fine at the two this year. Like he, you know, he showed some skills and playmaking, 
but he wasn't a, a top player at those events. Um, you know, at this at this tournament, particularly where it was a selection camp where you needed to rise to the occasion, he was just fine. Like he didn't. I don't think he registered a point. Got a couple of chances. You know, he wasn't bad, but he wasn't great. And and that with a guy with his toolkit, where it's basically a skill playmaking type of player. Um, you know, he needs to probably you know have a, a way to be on a power play on this type of team uh, or be an extra. Uh, and, you know, he's not that big. He's average size, not an amazing skater, not like this amazing two-way guy. So you can argue whether that's the right way to think about making a team or not, but that was the way Hockey Canada told us they were going to be making the team. And, and they stuck to that is that given that he didn't find a way to kind of carve out a top nine role with, in terms of with his skill, they, Concluded there was no room for him on this team, even among the extras. Um, so that, that's how that went. He also hasn't really, in junior hockey the last two seasons, been absolutely incredible. He's been a very good junior player, but he hasn't you know, put up giant numbers where you you defer to the body of work. The body of work that I've always heard reference from scouts was his Olympic Gretzky Cup two years ago in his NHL games. Um, so it was, I'm sure it was a tough decision. Uh, that was one that I always kind of felt was on the bubble. But it was definitely one of the, the biggest uh, headlines coming out of that camp was the cutoff up here. Well, I also would imagine you talk about not just not in the top nine, but but not making room for him as an extra. Like part of that, I imagine, is influenced by a guy who's not in his age group, and that's Connor Bedard, kind of coming out of nowhere as as a real skill player on that team. That if he's on the team, you probably can't carry both of those two guys. Absolutely, and as after that first game where Connor Bedard, I think, had two goals and like three or four points. And, you know, I, I sent out you know a, a, t- a tweet about that that him potentially pushing his way in is going to create problems for some of the bubble skill guys like Lapierre and like Z- Xavier Borgo, uh, who were who were fighting for spots. And Bedard you know, had a great camp. Uh, we'll, we'll see where he slots in to start the tournament. You know, he might kind of be a fourth line guy uh, with some, with second power play. It looks like early on right now, but but we'll see. Uh, when, when the real thing starts. Uh, but yeah, that was absolutely a variable. And if Bedard, you know, does not, you know, I think really, I love Connor Bedard, but I thought as a 16 year old, it was, he would have to do, he have a really good camp, you know, really productive, consistently noticeable camp to, to work his way into the mix. And he did. And I, I did not see that coming personally. And that's why I thought Lapierre would make the team, but, but that was absolutely a, a big part of why that cut happened. Rare air for Connor Bedard get, making his way onto this team as a as a sixteen year old. I mean, the, the names that he joins are are pretty absurd there uh, in that group. I mean, what should people read into that? The, the fact that he was able to make this team from a draft perspective, obviously, like from a Canada perspective, maybe he's not going to be one of their five or six best players this tournament. But from, from his prospect status, what can be read into here? He's a he's a really like elite prospect. Like he's a guy who. You can pick apart some small things about his skill set, like not that he's not that big. Skating's good, I wouldn't call it exceptional, um, but his his skill, his hockey sense, his shot are are exceptional. He has a, he has a great work ethic, and the accolades that he has been piling up in terms of things he's been accomplishing at his age are comparable to some of the the very best prospects we've seen in the last twenty thirty years. Yeah, you know, and you know, you mentioned the point about the sixteen-year-old. You know, Connor, Connor McDavid was on the World Junior. He was a sixteen-year-old, and he was solid, but he wasn't anything spectacular. So I think expectations need to be reasonable uh, with this player, given that he will be on a very deep team, and they're not going to play a sixteen-year-old a ton. Um, but he's a guy who is going to be very much in the mix to be a first overall pick next year be very much in the mix being the NHL two years and a guy you're, you're talking about if, if you get a chance to draft him, hoping that he's going to become a star player for your franchise. Absolutely. All right. We're going to get to the rest of team Canada second, but, but one more omission from the team and that that's the one who didn't get invited. That's Brant Clark. You look at team Canada and the thing that jumps out at you, uh, if you know a little bit about each of these players right away is there is not a single right shot defenseman on this team. Uh, or actually is there one? No, there was not. Vincent Iorio, uh, was invited to camp as a right child defenseman, right. but he was one of the two cuts. 
Yeah, so so zero right shot defensemen on this team. Um, that is unusual th- for sure. But uh, did Canada have they kind of given an explanation yet for why Brant Clark was not uh, among their 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 final player pool for the camp? They did not give an explanation, and they wouldn't. I mean, that's not just a Canada thing. That's a it's an every team thing that they usually don't like to comment uh, on the cuts. That's that's just usually how these federations work. Um, but that doesn't stop us from talking about it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, there's some things that I can surmise from discussions I've had with people around the league. Uh, there's a, there's a few variables. Uh, first is that I think while Brand Clark has had a pretty strong season, uh, in the OHL, you know, the production is, has been there. He's shown his usual great skill, uh, talking to many scouts who've watched in the OHL. They haven't described his play as you know above and beyond type of performance they you know they he's had some stretches where he hasn't quite been as good particularly defensively um and i think that that weighed against him that his season at least in the eyes of the scouts that i've talked to i know his statistics are strong um has not blown people away uh the other variable was the u18 world championships last spring uh where brian clark was was good but I think in the eyes of Hockey Canada, Olin Zellweger was better, um, particularly in the things they wanted him to do, those the defensemen to do, um, on even strength and particularly on the power play. And it's no surprise now that, one, Olin Zellweger is on the team, and two, he is manning the second power play unit. We, this goes back to the discussion that we had with Pierre and Rolls, and when they start building the roster out, I think they said, okay, well, if Brand Clark's on our team, he needs to be on a power play. And then the question at, do we prefer Olin Zellweger and Lucas Corby on the second unit, which is based on Mark Masters' report, and that seems to be the way they're cycling guys in the second unit right now. Owen Powers on the first unit. It's like, or do we want Brian Clark? Based on, I think, that what everyone saw at the U18 World Championships last spring, uh, they preferred Zellweger. So that was another variable uh, working against him. I still thought he'd get invited to camp, but the, the logic that I've had relayed to me by many people is – if you bring him, if you want Zellweger and not Clark in, in that role, if if you invite Clark and he has a great camp, then it would kind of put you in a bind. Uh, so I think they decided just to, to rip the bandaid off and not invite him uh, at the outset. But he's still a very good prospect. I assume he'll be a big part of their team next year. Yeah, it, it's, you're right. It's dramatized by the fact that he wasn't invited. But ultimately, if if this is where it was headed, if Hockey Canada. Uh, kind of had an in- inclination of which way they wanted to go with this. It's it's really not it's not any more of a of a shocker, I guess, to see him at at home now versus at home or at home before the camp versus at home now in the in the grand scheme. Right. Yeah. Like I said, he has a, he's a very particular kind of player. He's a skill uh, playmaking type of defenseman. He is not an incredible skater. He's not an incredible defender. That's never been his his mo. He is a skill player. So if you bring him, he's got to be in a skill role. They concluded with Owen Power, uh, Owen Zellweger, and Lucas Cormier. They had uh, those positions accounted for. You Like with LaPierre, you can debate whether that's the right way to build out a team or not. But that, I think, was the logic. Uh, and, and I think, you know, and frankly, Owen Zellweger was very impressive at Canada's camp. I don't think you watched him there. Like, he was the best defenseman, I thought. Obviously, a Power was and Gouli uh, didn't play because they were presumed locks. But I, I wasn't watching Zellweger there and thinking, oh, oh crap, they made a mistake. <laughs> they should have brought Clark. I think he he did the things you anticipated. I thought Cormier, frankly, was not quite as impressive. I thought he – I think he was on the team regardless, but he, he probably didn't help his case that weekend. But, but Zellweger definitely looked very good. Well, let's talk about Canada's roster then as a whole here, because I, I look at it and, and obviously you see the, the top strength that you expect to see of a Team Canada team. Yes, they don't have Quinton Byfield, who would have been eligible by age, but is not at this tournament. But it's still, you know, Cole Perfetti, Mason McTavish, Shane Wright, Dylan Genther, the kind of high, high picks at the top of a lineup that you want to see. I also see they have some players who, you know, they could probably be a, a multi-dimensional team here. McTavish certainly would be part of that and writes, writes a two-way player even as a, as a draft year player. But, uh, you know, the, Ridley Gregg, Jake Neighbors, Will Cooley, Maverick Bork. Like, this is a team that, that can have some dimension here. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see what roles everybody plugs into. I think a lot of the guys you mentioned 
like Wright, McTavish, Ridley Gregg, Jake Neighbors, Justin Sordiff, Logan Stankov, and Dylan Genther. Um, they all have a lot of two-way ability as players. These are not one-dimensional offensive players. So it'll be interesting to see where people slide in, who's going to be the matchup line, who are going to be the penalty killers, so on and so forth. And I think it begs the question of whether they really needed to, I guess, you know, you can go back again back to the, the, the little Pierre discussion and ask, you know, did you, did you need to force things in here? Did you need to you know, build a team a certain way when you have this many two-way guys? But I think people just still argue, to me at least anyways, that his camps uh, led, led to the cut, not, not, not his talent. Um, but yeah, like, I think there's a lot of you know, two-way guys at forward and on defense. I think a lot of their defensemen can both can can skate pucks out, can trans can can pass them out, and provide some offense. I think that was where the Clark debate came into. There's not a lot of dynamic offensive types on the back end, but if they wanted their defensemen to be very good skaters, very smart players, uh, there's a lot of guys who fit that mo on their defense. Not practicing with them yet, but joining them will be Kent Johnson. He is joining them, right? Uh, that is the presumption right The presumption now. He, of Kent is, Johnson joining them. He is currently Canada. not there. He will obviously add a high, high skill element to that team the second he gets there. And I think if you heard me rattle through those names and want to just a little more flash, it's going to come in the way of Kent Johnson, who you expect to be running a, a high position, uh, you know, probably the top power play for them from the flank. Right, Cole Perfetti would obviously be another yeah. guy too, who would provide a lot of that. Um, you know, as we record right now, uh, their their first power play unit has been a combination of Perfetti, Power, Dylan Genther, Mason McTavish, and Shane Wright. Uh, we'll see what happens when Ken Johnson uh, plugs in there. Um, but uh, I, yes, he will provide him and Perfetti will provide lots of skill for their power play. And on D, I mean, we talked about the, the handedness aspect, but, you know, this is also a team that when you look at Owen Power, Caden Gooley, Carson Lambos, Donovan Sabrango, this is a, a, a two-way defense core too. Um, you know, part, this, this goes back to, I guess, the conversation about, about Brant Clark. We can have the whatever discussion about Brant Clark or, or whoever else, uh, you know, you, you wanted to see there. But I think the, the, the first name you mentioned, Owen Power, is something that's going to – that can easily get overlooked – this is the, to my knowledge, the first time a first a drafted first overall pick has played in this tournament uh, since 2013 when Ryan Nugent Hopkins played there uh, due to the lockout. Uh, so yeah, yeah, power should. After what he did at the World Championships uh, last spring, you're expecting him to come in and and frankly be dominant. You know, we can talk about who's on their second or their third pair, but but I think Owen Power will just provide so much value to this team and be such a minutes eater for this team that I don't, you know, I, I don't think it's really going to matter really who they brought in on the third pair. I think this, this guy is going to have to, going to have a monster tournament. Are they, is this the gold medal favorite? I mean, mo- most years Canada at least enters as the gold medal favorite, but you look at this roster, does it say should win the gold? It does. And there are some other variables there. Like, you know, we've already seen, um, you know, Finland lost arguably their best forward in Aturatu. Uh, USA already loses one of their best forwards in Thomas Bordalo. Uh, you have a team that's, that's a very that's a very deep at all positions in this case. And I think you look at the other rosters and there's some good teams. But I think you looked at USA going to last season. You know, that was the stacked age group. That was the, uh, you know, the 2019 draft with with Jack Hughes and Turcott and Zegers, Cam York, Spencer Knight, Cole Caulfield, Arthur Kaliev, you said, okay, this is this is this is the age group. This is an elite age group. Obviously, Hughes wasn't there. Um, I think I meant if I didn't mention Trevor Zegers, I apologize. Um, but uh, but you, you saw saw like the weapons they had, um, and I just kind of look around the international landscape, and I don't see a team that's as deep as as that to contend with them. You know, there's going to need to be some sort of, I don't want to say miracle, but but incredible performance by somebody, whether it's a goaltender like Yaroslav Askarov for Russia or Jesper Wallstedt for, for Sweden, or some sort of incredible performance by the United States where like their defensemen like Jake Sanderson and Luke Hughes just play out of their minds and Matthew Beniers has an incredible week. Something like that has to happen, I think, for, for them to falter or like say like say that their goaltending just absolutely crumbles or something along those lines. You talked about Atu Ratu, which feels like a, a natural segue. He obviously 
uh, unable to go with Finland and to the tournament. That's a huge loss right off the top for Finland. He was among the best players that we saw at, at the summer showcase in Plymouth this past summer. Was in line for a huge role, probably their number one center role at this tournament. Uh, you know, Team Finland often finds a way in international tournaments at every single level. So I, I'm not gonna uh, rule them out uh, at all. But it, it's it's a huge loss for them. Yeah, I mean, they're still a fun, you know it's going to be a good team. It's still Team Finland. But to your point, I mean, he was expected to be arguably their best player, at least their best skater, and 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 with him out, it, it creates a real hole offensively. I still think you know you still look at the um, defense. Topi Nimola, a returning player, well, you expect him who's among the leading scorers in Finland as a defenseman. You expect they'll have a big tournament. They have some other fours that are intriguing, but this was not an overly deep age group, and. And now they're hurting. And now you're going to see younger guys like Joachim Kamel and Brad Lambert have to step up here and, and provide some offense. The returning players, Ronnie Hervonen and Casper Simon Taval um, and, and Robbie Arventi, will be expected to play significant roles. But it's hard to see a pass to a goal for this team. doesn't mean they can't maybe get a bronze or something like that. Uh, it's, it's going to be really tough now to see a pass to a goal for them, though. Yep, absolutely. All right, we're going to jump to a break in just a second. Before we do, I wanted to squeeze in a quick thought on Russia not taking Ivan Mirosnyshenko, potential top 10 pick in this year's draft, at least enter the year as that. Uh, what does this tell you about Russia not deciding to bring him uh, to the World Juniors? Yeah, I would say after Shane Wright, the, there's a varied opinions on who's next after him and what order they're in. I could talk to NHL scouts around the league. I've heard some who still have Mirosnychenko as the second best prospect. Some have him more closer to five. Some have him closer to ten. Uh, so it's a varied opinions. Like I said, who's in what the next group looks like and who's in that next group. Um, he's been a, he's been a top guy in his age group for a, for a long time. Uh, obviously, his U18 World Championships last spring, where he's among the leading scorers, was very notable. Thought he had a strong Klinka Gretzky tournament in the summer where they won gold. Well, it wasn't exceptional there. Like I wouldn't say it was the, one of the greatest holding because I've ever watched, but he was pretty strong, a top player on the team that team that won it. Uh, he's played versus men this year. It's been his play has been good. I wouldn't say it's been amazing, but you know, playing in the second tier men's league is not easy, and I think he's more than held his own. I still, when I watch him, I see a lot of the same attributes um, that I've you've always valued. You know, big, strong, fast. Winger with great skill, creativity, who could shoot it. Like, a lot of things there to like. Uh, I think the death knell for him was when they had that Four Nations in November, the a, a U-20 event. We discussed this, I think, one or two episodes ago. Uh, he was good there, but the other draft-eligible player, Daniela Yurov, I think outplayed him a little bit there. Not by a huge margin, uh, but by enough to where... When they were building out their rosters, if there was one winger spot available and it was between the two of them, it went to him. You can argue whether there should have been more winger spots available. I looked through their roster and there's a couple of top six wingers that are obvious. Nikita Chiprikov, the Jets pick, Matvey Michkov, the highly thought of um, 23 eligible, Alexander Pashin, the Carolina pick. Um, and, and then you have and then you have Yurov. But after that, I, I think you could have argued there was a spot for him. They argued his conditioning wasn't in the best Spot which maybe I don't know. That's it's an interesting, it's an interesting rationale. Given they gave him a letter in in a U twenty tournament a couple of a couple of weeks ago. Um, so so yeah, I, I I don't think it's a crazy cut, but it was it was interesting. And from our perspective, uh, one one fewer draft eligible to watch. Although this tournament uh, does not seem is not going to be light on those for the for the twenty twenty two draft, unlike last year. Yeah, much different than last year. I think this year's going to have a lot of draft intrigue. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. 
Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, on to the next camp that you attended in the last week, Corey. And this one I was able to join you at for a little bit. That would be Team USA. Team USA actually delivered their final roster a little earlier than at least I was expecting. that They had it done um, by Tuesday afternoon. Um, that comes in. I don't think any any major surprises there on the cut side. Um, there was an absence that was unexpected that Thomas Bartolo, who tested positive for COVID, feel really bad for him. He's he's missed so many big hockey events in the last two years due to due to this virus. Uh, whether it be being actually obtaining it right now, having others obtain it at the NCAA tournament last year, uh, or being a close contact at last year's World Juniors, really tough break for for Thomas Bartolo. And in the U18 World Championships, when That's obviously right. the, when the pandemic first first broke out, yes, he's uh, he's been quite screwed over by this virus on on numerous occasions, and he was going to be a very important player for this team, probably their second line center. Um, and now with with his absence, I think you're going to see the draft eligible Logan Cooley, who I think in their initial assessment was probably going to be on the wing, is pro- probably going to play his natural position of center now to help fill that void. Um, and, and that's where and we're going to see how that makeup of that team goes when that, with that kind of format. But I, when I watched Cooley at the camp, again, it was only like scrimmages and stuff like that. I thought he was one of the most dynamic players I saw there. I think, you know, we'll see what happens when the real game starts. Practices are a lot different than real games, but, uh, I really, I love Logan Cooley. I think he's absolutely in the mix to be something like the second, third overall pick in this year's draft. And I see, uh, I definitely see a scenario where he gets to the tournament and, and he looks the part as a top nine, top six forward. Absolutely, I mean, it, it's he really has a little bit of everything except maybe that that super uh, that, that size and strength, I guess, blend that, that you might want in a, in a center. But it's speed, it's skill, it's smarts, it's compete. He has a little bit of everything that you want. Yeah, I mean, he he you know he's not I can say compares to this player, but he definitely has a little bit of like Braden Point style type of his game, and there's a lot of dimensions there, even as a smaller center. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just dive right in then with Team USA. I mean, initial impression to this team without Bortolo, they definitely take a little bit of a hit on the on the pure skill, the pure scoring side. But a team that's built, uh, honestly, kind of in a very much, it's kind of the meme of how Team USA's World Junior teams end up looking here. Is it's a it's a lot of uh, down lineup bulldog types to complement some some scoring and, and some high picks up top. Yeah, I, I think the defense is going to be essential for this team and. You know, we're just watching them early on at the camp. It was interesting. You, you, I think, uh, you know, there are two big players, Sanderson and, and Jake Sanderson, the Ottawa pick, and Luke Hughes, the uh, New Jersey pick, both top five picks on defense. They put them on different pairs. Um, they had, you know, the returning members um, and, and Tyler Clevin and, and, and Brock Faber uh, not on the pair with Jake Sanderson, uh, I think. So it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, how this goes throughout the camp. The Anaheim pick Ian Moore I saw on the last day playing with, with Sanderson. Um, but I think that those defensemen are going to be essential to whether or not they, they get a medal at this tournament. They have, you know, really good forwards. Obviously, they have, you know, first round picks like Chaz Lucius, Mackie Sanasevich, uh, Matthew Coronado, and of course, second overall pick Matthew Beneers, who's having an excellent season uh, right now in Michigan and who's going to be an essential piece for them, but I think the defense is going to have to be, you know, pretty much everything for them on, on top of a guy like Veneers. Well, that and Drew Camesso, right? Like in order for them to to play the style of play that they're built to play, they can't go down 2-0 in the first 10 minutes to a team like Finland, let alone a team like Canada. Yeah, no, for sure. But Drew Camesso is not Spencer Knight with all due respect. Of course. I think Drew Camesso is a, is a good player, uh, but I, I don't think you're expecting him to post a shutout in the gold medal game against Canada. Like Spencer Knight did last season, I think there's. I think Drew's a good goalie, but you have to be realistic in what you're going to be able to provide in front of him. And like I said, I think there's. You're going to need Sanderson and Hughes just to be amazing, both shut in terms of their defensive play and creating offense. And if that doesn't happen, it's going to be hard to see a path to a medal for them. Yeah, I mean, he, he you talked about Owen Power and, and how he needs to to dominate, be one of the, he should dominate, be one of the best players of this tournament coming off what he did at Worlds. I think you can say the bar is. Same place for Jake Sanderson, basically, after what he's shown. Absolutely. I think for those two guys, there's there's going to be a lot of pressure. For Luke Hughes, there will be a degree of pressure. And for Simon Edmondson with Sweden, there will be a degree of pressure to to, to really elevate. And even for Topi Nimbala, who we mentioned before, who was not of the same caliber of prospect, was one of the best defensemen in last year's tournaments, having an amazing season. And I think for all, for all those defensemen, there will be a lot of – there will be very high expectations to perform. 
One of the people who I thought, you know, when you and I watched practice the other day, you you couldn't get a real feel for lines, but we did get a look at what we think were kind of USA's initial power play looks. And Carter Mazur, the Red Wings third round pick, he was an overager this year, was on the flank of the second power play. He looks like a guy who, you know, he's he's off to a point per game start at Denver. He, He could be counted on in a little bit bigger capacity than maybe you would have expected a month or two ago. Yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. I mean, he's scoring right now at Denver. He brings, you always seen the speed and the competing in his game, but the added offense he's bringing in, in addition to the skating has been very interesting. Uh, most scouts I've talked to about him have had very positive comments um, both on his play this season. And yes, I think he's a guy who's going to play a big role. I think another guy who may not be a household name will be Brett Berard, who was on last year's team. Um, I expected to play a very large role uh, on this team. Obviously, he plays for the head coach Nate Lehman at Providence. That's not that's not why. I think one reason why is with Bortolo's absence and Logan Cooley not playing on the left wing, the left side of that lineup is not really that deep. With like, Brett Berard's an excellent prospect, so I'm not mean to disrespect him, but it just you take one guy out, it shifts everything around. I think. If Cooley is your first line left wing and Brett Barge your second, you're you're happy. Is he is he a first line first power play guy um, on a you know a world junior gold medal team? We'll we'll find out. But you have reason why you have all their their first round picks: Lucius, Semeskevich, Coronado. They're right shots, so they'll they'll play on the right side. Presume Lucius will not be a center here. Maybe he could be in a year from now. On the uh, one of the power play units, it seemed like uh, Team USA may try to make the two defenseman power play cool again. Uh, right now, the the in vogue style is to just roll with with one defenseman on the power play. But uh, there was one that had Scott Moore playing out on the flank, and I, I think that can work for Team USA with his offensive skill set. Right. I mean, it's just I don't think it's about trying to be old school. I think it's about playing with with the cards they have, and their their talent is on defense this year. You know, Scott Morrow is one of the most skilled players on the team. Jake Sanderson is one of the most skilled players on the team. Luke Hughes is one of the most skilled players on on the team. So that's just what they have this year. And you know, with due respect to the forwards they have, I think you know they're going to be relying on their their defense to both make stops and to produce offense. Give me your pick for a uh, a name that USA fans uh, maybe aren't looking at right now, but by the end of the tournament, will be excited about. I mean, I think you already meant, we already mentioned a couple of them and Berard yep. and, and Mazur. So you're kind of forcing me to go, you know, you know, way down the depth chart here. But like I said, I thought it was really interesting watching Ian Moore play on the, on the Sanderson pair. Like I like Ian Moore skating. I think he's got some size. There is a little bit of offense there. Will he stay in that big role the entire time? We'll see, but maybe he plays like Drew Hellison did last year. There's some similarities in the way they play too. Yeah, I mean, I'll take uh, Matthew Nyes. I mean, now the, the Toronto uh, factor here may may mean that uh, he, he gets enough media blitz here to become a household name before the tournament. But he was a second-round pick in 2021. Uh, he's 19 years old, but but I think he's a player who can really pop. He's got a little bit of everything. He can score. He's powerful. Yeah. He's the kind of player that Team USA needs to have a big tournament if they're gonna if they're going to compete for a gold. Yeah, and I expect he'll be somewhere in the top six or the top nine. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else on Team USA before we wrap up on them? I mean, something that we've kind of always known about this team coming into this season was the goaltending situation. And Drew Camesso is an excellent goaltending. But not only is he an excellent goalie, but he might be their only excellent goalie. I really I like Dylan Silverstein as, as a prospect, but he's 17 years old. You know, they need Drew to stay healthy. They need him to be reliable. Because if they don't, you kind of look at the depth chart. And it's Silverstein, who's a 17-year-old, 6-0, goalie, and and Caden Mbarico, who was an undrafted 5'11 goalie. So there's a lot of pressure on Camesso to perform right now. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, let's head to the mailbag now. We got some good ones today. Um, First one that I want to get you with, Corey, is from Ryan Roser, uh, who says, I noticed that the decade from 01 to 2010 had a lot more kind of home run franchise players go first overall in 2011 to 2020 or 1991 to 2000, especially in terms of immediate success. Was that decade just a fluke run of good top prospects? And should we reset our expectations of number one overall picks? That's a good question. And we, I haven't had that question put to me in those exact terms before in terms of the specific years. But I think over the last couple of years, we've seen first overall picks not have immediate star success in the National Hockey League. And it started a discussion of, is there something wrong with how we're developing these players? Is there something wrong with our expectations on these players? Uh, And I think those are all reasonable discussions that that can be had. But I think what you usually find out is, I often get questions, uh, you know, for this podcast and my work in other places on the strength of draft classes. You know, is this draft class average, good, bad, whatever? And my answers are usually very boring in which I say most draft classes are the same, but the places where I think you find by far the most variance in all my in my years covering covering this field is that very, very top, whether it's the top five, top three, or particularly the first overall pick. That's where you see the biggest swings from year to year. And with 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 that being said, you know, it can really vary wildly in over from year to year, five year stretches, ten year stretches in the caliber of first overall picks you get. Uh, you know, we think in the next, you know, next year we'll get a good one, whether it ends up being Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, you know, Matt Mitchkov or, or, some, or someone else. We think it will be a strong one. You know, we thought, we, we definitely thought, and we had some strong ones recently, like Austin Matthews, you know, superstar, Connor McDavis, superstar, Nathan McKinnon. Started off looking a superstar, then he dipped, and they came. Then he came back. So you have, and then in, in between them, you've had you know the Ryan Nugent Hopkins years and the Taylor Hall, Neil Yakupov, Aaron Eckblad, some of them which are very good players, but probably didn't rise to the level of Kyrie David Austin Matthews. Uh, so you have that balance. I'm not willing to say that we need to recalibrate, but I think there needs to be an, a realization that not every first overall pick is created equal. And I think most fans understand that, but definitely in the context of like. You know, there's real calibrations that need to be made depending on the on the particular year and the particular player. Like even now for Shane Wright, who I think is an excellent, excellent prospect, he's not having an incredible season, and I still think he's a you know a fantastic, you know, definitely deserving of the first overall pick type of prospect. I think he's going to be an NHL star, but he's not having like the year that you would expect of, of a player of that caliber. So at the very minimum, it's a, it's a discussion worth having with someone like him, never mind first overall picks in the grander context. No, I think it's a good point. I think what, what can skew people is not just when a McDavid or a Matthews comes along, but it can be these little stretches. Like there is that spurt from 13 to 16. Three out of the four first overall picks were McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon, and Aaron Ekblad was the other one, and he might win the Norris Trophy this year. You had the spurt in in the mid two thousands where it was you know you know three out of four years Ovechkin, Crosby, Kane, all those guys MVPs, right? So yep. you have these spurts where it seems like okay, this is what a first overall pick is, but really those are kind of randomly distributed, and it just so happens that every once in a while they'll they'll pop in short succession like that. It could be that in twenty twenty three, and I don't want to put any outsized pressure on these guys, let alone this this young in their careers, but it could be that you get two guys who would have been like that level of first round pick in the same draft, and it's just that they both go in the same year. Right. You I mean you had uh, 
2016. Who was first overall 2016? McDavid and then and Eichel no, was second. That was, that was 2015. Oh, sorry. Line A was, was uh, in 2016. Line A Matthews. Line A Matthews. Then you had 2017. You could have argued, you know, any of Line A in 2016 or Eichel in 2015 would have gone ahead of his share in 2017. It's, it's like, I liked how you used the word randomly distributed. That's what it could be. And even the example of Ekblad, I mean, he was incredible his first year in the National Hockey League. He kind of plateaued after, then he came back. Um, but he was he looked, he looked like a no-doubt no star after that first season in the National Hockey League. Yeah, totally. And, and, and frankly, to your point in 2017, if Kale McCarr goes first overall, I'm not sure that anyone, you know, cons- or even Pedersen for that matter, although he's, he's up to a slower start this year. Like, I'm not sure anyone considers that a, a year that, you know, we're, we're a little down on the first overall pick. It's just that the, the, the specific guy didn't end up going first overall. Yeah, let's not go down that path. Uh, I've heard from enough Devils fans over the, over the last five <laughs> years that I, I know how this story goes. <laughs> Fair <laughs> so. enough. Fair enough. I mean, I, I guess the, the bottom line question here is, if we want to take all this from 10,000 feet, like what level of player is a reasonable kind of recalibrated expectation for number one? Is it a, is it a top 50 player in the league, a top 30 player in the league? Like, do you have a kind of, I know you don't have a, I know you're going to want a data answer here and we're not going to have that data, but do you have a broad brush rule for what you would look for, what you would hope for reasonably as a GM? I think you're hoping he's a guy who may not be like a superstar, but probably top 10% or so at his position in the National Hockey League. So not just like a top line forward, a top 10 defenseman, or a top pair defenseman, but a guy who's a good top line forward, a good top pair defenseman. Maybe not the, the star, superstar, whatever you want to call it, echelon, where he's among the top five or so best in his position, which obviously would be the obviously the best case outcome. Um, but somebody who is, like I said, among the upper percentiles in his in the league in his position. Somewhere kind of around the Taylor Hall, John Tavares range yeah, that, yeah that's a fair I, I think taylor hall is a successful first overall pick it's not a, you know an above average first overall pick but it's, it's 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 on the baseline i think and john Tavares is definitely on the baseline yeah so i i think that's a good one and uh hopefully that that gets at ryan's question next one's from nick richard and this one well that one was a uh, very broad strokes this one's super specific how confident are you in connor geeky's nhl projection 2022 draft prospect he's a center um, he, he Nick has questions about his feet and his pace, especially the short area quickness. Yeah, I mean his skating is is uh, the flaw in his game. It was for his brother Morgan too, who was not drafted until his second draft eligible season by Carolina um, in the third round, I believe. Obviously, now he's with Seattle and he's playing, he's having some success. And Connor's much farther ahead as a player than than Morgan was at the same age. Uh, you know, you can be a National Hockey League player and be a good one, even if you are a below average skater. It, it's it's a flaw, and it's it it goes into the risk calculus with with the player. But I still think when you have a six three center with really good hands, with really good offensive instincts, uh, who has some physicality, um, the production this season isn't amazing. But Winnipeg's kind of a unique context; he doesn't get the first power play ice time. You look at how he's done this season and as well as his underage seasons. It's a promising profile. Um, I, I still really like this player. I think he can be a top six four in the National Hockey League. Um, I'm not willing to sit here and say uh, he's like going to be a, like a star player. I think there's not enough evidence there of that. And it's why I think uh, when the draft rolls around, he'll probably be somewhere in that 7 to 15 range, I think. Avco Cup wants to know about the Russians not taking any of the CHL players to the World Juniors and what's behind that decision. Uh, to give context to his question, so the, there was three notab- notable North American cuts from this team. You could extrapolate on to more, but the three that got people talking were the two returning members from last year's team, Daniel Cheka, who was plays in Guelph on the Ontario League and was a Vegas second-round pick, uh, Jan Kuznetsov, a Calgary second rounder, uh, who is now at St. John of the QMJHL, and Daniel Gushin, a San Jose third round pick, who was not on the team last year, but has been considered a top player in this age group for many years. And neither of the three were invited uh, to be on the final U20 team. Uh, it got people talking. Uh, you know, if I was making the team, looking at the roster, uh, I probably would have brought uh, at least some of those players. You could have 
reasonable discussions on some of them one way or the other, but I probably, in the, at the end of the day, would have brought all three. You know, when I reached out to some of my sources in Russia, they argued to me that they just thought they brought the best team and they thought those three did not fit into making the best team. And I, when I went to some of my North American sources, particularly NHL people, uh, they said, that's bullshit. Uh, so, uh, he said there's varying opinions and it's not like Russia always leaves all North Americans behind. This seems like a, a bit of an anomaly. And should they go to the Olympics, I anticipate they will not follow that logic, for example. Uh, but it's definitely interesting. It's interesting in the context of how you kind of see, uh, they've always wanted players to stay home, but it seems like that's increasingly becoming a, a bigger theme in that they want players to come from Russia. But, uh, you know, I talked about this in the Matvey Michkov article, yep. but when I talked to Roman Rottenberg, the GM of SKA and of the Russian national teams, I actually brought up this point to him. I asked him, like, is there pressure to play for SKA, stay at home, Russia, make, make, you're not going to make the national teams. He told me, like, you know, he's not involved in that process. The coaches pick the best players. They just want to win gold medals. And I believe that last part. Russia really wants to win gold medals. Uh, you know, any tournament they win, you know, you look at the media that the, the Russian Federation uh, produces, they make big deals out of every little event. So I, I believe they really do want to win. But at the minimum, uh, their Russia decisions beg some questions. Uh, staying on the World Juniors, Carter Rubin, and, and you touched on this a little bit as we were going over the roster, but what do you expect to see from Brock Faber and the World Juniors? And I guess maybe maybe the more new item here is what do you think his ETA to pro hockey could be? Yeah, I mean, you're expecting him to be a top four defenseman at this tournament. Probably not going to get power play time on on this team, but you're expecting him to is it play you know 20 so minutes a night, you know, play against good players, you know, use his skating physicality to, to make a lot of stops. I expect he probably signs at the end of the season. And then, so he's, he's in the AHL next year, basically. Yeah, most likely. All right. Andreas Anderson, uh, which pro league is the best for developing forwards age 20 and above defensemen goalies? I, we could probably, I don't know if the positional specificity matters here. I can kind of jump in on this here. My answer here is that it's probably going to depend quite specifically by the player, right? Because it, I, my inclination is a lot of teams there's things they would like about having their players in the AHL, um, not just the proximity and the individual touches that they get, um, but also there, there's a certain level of physicality and you're playing on the small ice. You're getting used to different styles of play, but there are circumstances where you could see value in a player staying in a place where they're familiar, especially if you really like the development um, structure of the organization that they're in. If you think they're going to get a lot more minutes, I suppose um, in the SHL or, or even, uh, you know, Maybe the KHL is a little different. Usually they're they're staying in the KHL because they want to. But I, I think you can make different cases for different leagues here depending on the player. Yeah, I think case by case is definitely a thing. I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast. You know, there's a pretty basic you know principle when it comes to you know human learning that you want to be challenged but not overwhelmed. And for each player, that could be different context. A player may be challenged in Liga. Um, and other another player might find might find themselves be one of the top players, but they might be challenged more in the KHL. You know, one player might be challenged in college hockey, another one might be too good for college and might want might maybe better served in the American League. Uh, so there's case by case there too. I've I've always personally found on a, on a larger scale having issues attributing who develops who better. Like I've never been able to pinpoint that down, and it's it's always because it's. It's, it's tough to prove, I think. You know, I have these discussions all the time when, like, a player busts and they say, oh, well, it's because they didn't develop him well. And it's like, yeah, are you sure about that? Like, you know, it's, I think it's easy to, like, to, like, force the connection there. And it's like, maybe he was always going to bust. How do you know? Like, how do you know, how do you know the team didn't develop him well? How do you know that if he would have been on any other team or in any other league or whatever, that he wasn't going to bust? You know, we don't have access to the tools to, you know, go into different dimensions and see how they would have done in all these different scenarios. So I find it tough. I think you see particular examples, like you see, like, say, like an organization like a Tampa, for example, that seems to find ways to continually see churn out mid-round picks. Like, okay, there's, there's something in the water here. But whether it's teams or leagues in general, I have a hard time figuring out who's actually good or bad at player development. 
as opposed to just identifying talent. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy F. is curious about the Red Wings' Swedish prospects. There are a great many of them, and he says, uh, anybody really standing out this season? I guess that conversation has to start with Simon Edvinson. Yeah, I mean, he's been a top player on a good team. That's an obvious one. You know, we'll see how his tournament goes. I got mixed reviews on his U24 Nations. I thought it was good when I watched it on video. The scouts were there. Uh, thought it was just more okay, but his Swedish hockey league play undisputably has been excellent for a player his age. Uh, we'll see, obviously, how uh, you know he, he plays at the tournament. And like I said, I think in order for Sweden to medal, along with William Eklund, Alexander Holtz, and Jesper Wallstedt, Simon Edmondson needs to play off his mind uh, for, for them to get a medal because they don't really have a depth. Um, Elmer Soderblom, uh, the late round pick from a few years ago, uh, also having a really excellent season with Frolona, the same team as Edmondson, uh, plays on. Uh, huge guy with really good hands. He can score. The skating is a problem for the National Hockey League. It's why he was a late-round pick. Uh, but I think he's kind of shown that he can play pro hockey. He can score in pro hockey. Uh, I really like this prospect. I think he's one of the Red Wings' stronger prospects. And, I mean, that was the obvious one. I think people would also want to ask me about William Olinder, the second-round pick, who was cut by the U-20 team. And I think they might want to ask why he was cut. Because you know, he's a 6'4 defenseman who skates well for his size. Shown some offense with Rogla in the SHL. I think there were some concerns on the defending with him. And I think even though he showed some offense uh, in terms of his scoring, I think just talking to evaluators over in Sweden, there was some concern that his puck moving was not that polished and not really a natural offensive type either. I still probably would have leaned to bringing him, but uh, I didn't think it was uh, unreasonable that they cut him. Well, and he wasn't. He wasn't very good. He wasn't very noticeable at all at the summer showcase camp where, you know, a lot of the, the groundwork laying happens for these teams. But that, I will say that said, I, I have heard that he has taken a real noticeable step in play from that tournament in, in SHL play. And, you know, I don't blame Team Sweden at all for leaving him home because if it if it didn't happen in your camp, you know, I, I don't know that you you're going to be inclined to, to take the benefit of the doubt there on the roster spot. But I do think in terms of progress, like he, he is a guy who I, I've heard has made some real progress. And he didn't play the, at the November tournament either. And yeah, to your point, and something we discussed throughout this episode, uh, those camps are massively important. Uh, yeah. You can argue again whether that's the right or wrong process, but from not just from this year, every year that I've covered this tournament, the summer and the November camps are massively important. Since this is my beat, I'm going to uh, selfishly drag you one one step further on that Soderblom point. You talked about kind of his skating being an issue at the NHL level. One of the things I've always kind of operated under is that what the what players need skating size skill etc for is all generally feeds the same question which is how to how do you separate from a defender and when i look at soderblom i agree his skating's not good but he does have two of those other elements there do you think the skating holds him back you know from being an nhl player or more from just being in a top role yeah probably the latter i think he plays in the national hockey league uh, and he will be used in a very specific role, like how he's been used for a lot of his life, with his six, seven, whatever it is, frame. You know, he'll be a net front guy. He'll win battles down low. He'll get a lot of tips and 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 try and clear around the net. Um, but it's not you need skating to play in the National Hockey Hockey League. Everybody there is a good skater. Not everybody, you know, some of them aren't. But it's 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 an issue. You know, it's it just is. It's a why he was a late round pick. And if he was a good skater at six seven and had skill, he would have gone in the top ten. So you know those are. It's just going to be a struggle, a test for him. Doesn't mean he won't succeed. It's just going to be a test for him when he eventually arrives. All right, on to the next one. Uh, Cedric asks, which teams do you believe could be climbing into playoff position this year or next, thanks to the growth of their younger players, and which current playoff team do you think could miss out in the next two years because of their inability? to bring their youth along, taking the necessary steps as contributors? That's a good question. Um, I mean, you're kind of like, you know, it's kind of cheating because you're like, because you already have like the answer. This would have been like a preseason <laughs> answer. Cause you're like, you look at the, you look at the, at the success of like Anaheim and, and yeah. Detroit. And it's like, yeah, like that. Those are the, those are the obvious ones. You look at what Trevor Zegers is doing. You look at what Lucas Raymond and, and Moritz Sider are doing. Um, you look even Jamie Drysdale. I think is going to you know, be a really excellent player with with time. You know, that's that's an easy question for me to answer. In terms of the ones that that would be going the other way, um, that's that's a trickier one to answer because 
you don't have you know all the facts ahead of you. I think you're you know not picking on someone who's already having a rough year right now. You know, I do wonder what the long term plan is there for the Islanders. Um, they had you know obviously they had a lot of success recent years. Right now, not having that success, and they've had you know COVID and injury factors affecting them. So we'll see how their second half goes. But they don't really they've you know they traded a lot of draft picks in recent years. They don't have the deepest farm system. The team isn't having success right now. And and they're even though I love some of the players on the team, you know, love Matthew Barzell, uh, and I think Noah Dobson, Oliver Walsham are very good young players. I do wonder what the long term plan there is to succeed over the next five years if this year is not an outlier year. How about a team that I mean I don't know that I think this team drops out of the playoffs, but you'd really like to see Edmonton start working. And I like some of the prospects at the top of their system too. And Evan Bouchard's kind of carved his place out this year, yes. but they're a team that right could here. really use some, some high impact youth coming in right now. Yeah. Dylan Holloway's injury this season didn't help. Um, I don't know if he would have been on the team right away, but I've been in the mix. Philip Roberg played a couple of games for them this season. He's having a good year down in Bakersfield. Um, their inability to draft very well beyond the first round over the last 15 years has been an issue for them. Um, you know, we can we can even like go back to the Hockey Canada debate. I think there's people who were a little perturbed that uh, Carter Savoy did not get an invite to their camp. I did not think it was unreasonable. Um, you don't usually see a lot of five nine guys who don't skate that well get invited to the U twenty camp unless they're exceptional skill guys. You can argue whether he is or not. He's having a very productive year at Denver. He has a high skill level. He can score. I think he's a, a nice prospect. I don't think he's like a top top end prospect though. And they just need some of that to – otherwise, you're just hoping on your first-round picks every year, which is a very slow grind. It's why their rebuild took so long. They're still a very good team right now, but it took a very long time to get it that way. You know, picking high in the first round year over year, you know, and now having, you know, guys like Leon Dreisaw become what he's become, guys like Darnell Nurse becoming what they've become. That helped, but when you had cousin Neil Yakupov missed, it set things back, so on and so forth. Only other team I'd want to bring up in this conversation is is Pittsburgh, and you know they're a different case because they just haven't <laughs> made the first round picks, and they actually you know they found guys like Kalen Addison outside the first round, and then they trade those guys too. So they're a team that looks like at some point is heading for a Detroit Vancouver style rebuild here. I don't know if it's next year, but it's coming. Yeah, it's just a matter of when. And everyone like around the organization knows. Like you don't talk to anybody with the Pittsburgh organization. Like no, 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 we're going to be great for the next ten years. They know at some point the pain's going to happen, whether it's three years, five years, seven years, however long. You know, Crosby and Mall can, can continue to be good, and obviously they have contract issues. They have contracts coming up, and we'll we'll see what happens there. Um, but yeah, that's that team is going to hit. Uh, you know, hit. Uh, a rocky points at some point here. And it's because of their drafting actually that they haven't yet because they found, you know, guys like Jake Gensel or John Marino or Matthew Murray in, in, in previous regimes and, and, and so on and so forth that uh, didn't draft John Marino, but they acquired him yeah. for, for a pick, you know, little things like that have helped stretch out their window far longer than people thought it would reasonably go for it. But Eventually, it's I means part of part of drafting and part of you know getting prospects is skill, and a large part of it is luck. And eventually, your luck will run out. It's just a matter of when. All right, happy thoughts here on the athletic hockey show. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap on a fitting one from Grimlock L. Who are your early picks for the World Juniors All Star team, and who are your top three guesses to lead the turning points? I thought about saving this one for next week's preview episode. Uh, but I didn't want to forget, so let's just do it now. Right. I mean, when you're predicting like world junior scoring leaders, uh, the lazy answer is just to pick the team you think is going to win gold and just go through all their best players. So it's easy for me to say, oh, yeah, so just, you know, Cole Perfetti, you know, Kent Johnson, Mason McTavish, uh, Dylan Genther, Owen Power. Like, those are the obvious, you know, those are the obvious ones right there. Um, thinking about guys from other teams, though, you know, if, if, and this is a big if, if, you know, if Sweden medals, William Eklund and Alex Holtz are going to have the week of their lives, pretty much. And I think those two are going to play a ton of minutes. Uh, particularly Eklund, I think you're looking at as a guy who will, who has a chance to be really dominant in that tournament. Um, I don't think anybody on Russia 
at least to what I can see, has the goods to rise to that level. I think everyone loves Matt by Mitchkov for obvious reasons, but he is he just turned 17. And while I love the prospect, that him to be a scoring leader here would be unreasonable. Um, so I think, you know, there's the, the guys I mentioned from Sweden would be in the mix. And, you know, I don't think he is the most natural scorer you'll ever see. But, you know, Matthew Beneers is a guy who would be in the mix there for you at the United States to play a lot of minutes and potentially score. And if you want to be a little dark horse here, you know, I remember going to that February tur- February Five Nations tournament right before the world shut down. And one of the leading scorers right behind Aturati uh, was Jake Sanderson, who was absolutely dominant at that tournament. And he was dominant in the Summer Showcase. So he could be a guy who could be, uh, you know, as a defenseman, obviously with, with power, be a little, you know, maybe a sneaky candidate to be one of the scoring leaders. He's going to get the power play time for it. He's going to get the overall minutes for it. Both of those two guys, you think, would. So I, I like those as a couple of good, good dark horses. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. It's going to start with a 30-day free trial and then 99 cents a month after that. And right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. You're going to want to get on that in time for the World Juniors to read up on all that. We'll talk to you soon.